Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and the truth that's found in Ephesians. We just pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would speak to us, that you continue to sanctify us by your indwelling spirit, that we might be the people of God that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're still in Ephesians chapter 1. Our focal passage is 3 through 6. We studied verse 5 last week, which dealt with adoption. And I brought up Roman adoption and how that was important to look at our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and how we're adopted into the family. And if you recall, I brought up the fact that our status has changed with Christ, that we went from being in darkness and being at enmity with God to being transformed and being adopted into the household of God. And before I go on to our next verse, I want to say one more quick thing is that these verses deal with the who, why, and how we are saved. And when I first started our study of Ephesians, I quoted Honer in his commentary regarding Ephesians. And I think it's important to re-quote to kind of give you some background on what we're studying, especially here in the first chapter. And this is what he said. He said, Ephesians is known as the Trinitarian letter. The activity of the three persons of the Trinity is found in eight passages which are now summarized. And the theological portion of the book, chapters 1 through 3, Paul teaches that the Trinity is the basis on which spiritual benefits are bestowed on believers by means of the selection of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the seal of the Holy Spirit. And it's with this context that I think we should look at verses 3 through 6, which is the Father selecting us, or election, if you will. And in verse 3 through 6, back to our focal passage, it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him, Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. And this is why we keep on returning to this question that has been the theme throughout our study of verses 3 through 6. Why did the Father choose us? Why did the Father choose us? Why were we elected? And we know that it's not out of merit. It's not out of righteousness. We studied in verse 4 that the Father chooses, that we don't choose, that we don't have enough righteousness in us to pick 
the Father. It says that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And then when I preach through verse 4, I mention this fact that God wants a relationship with us. That's why He chose us, that He wants a relationship. All throughout the Bible, you see this. You see a theme of relationship. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. Enoch walked with God. Moses was told to build a tabernacle that I may dwell among my people. Through Jesus Christ, we have life in a relationship with God. Unfortunately, as I've mentioned before, people look at their salvation as a destination. That salvation is about heaven. It's about their eternal resting. But it's not about anything else. And that's unfortunate because that's not what it is. Salvation is about a relationship with God. What's the goal of the relationship? That's what we're going to get to today. The goal of the relationship is that we might praise God. Look at verse 5 and 6 again in our focal passage of Ephesians 1. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Now we could look at this very topically and we could say, well, I've I've been saved and you've been saved to praise God. And most of the time when you tell people about praising God, we think it's verbal, right? That it's a verbal action for us to praise God. And that's a component of it. But that's not all of it. And in fact, to prove my point, I'd like for us to turn to Matthew 15. And in Matthew 15, I'd like for you to look at what Christ told the Pharisees. In Matthew 15, verse 7, he said, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So when you think about the Pharisees, were they a religious people? Absolutely. They were extremely religious. But did they have a relationship with God? And that answer is no. They had a relationship with a religion, but they were godless. Their heart wasn't with God. We could have a false praise of God verbally. And what do we call those people? We call those people just as Christ called the Pharisees, hypocrites. Their mouth said one thing, but their action said something else. Praising God has a component of being verbal. But what we're talking about here this morning is is that God wants a relationship with his people that comes from 
their heart. And that is when you and I are pursuing God. And you cannot pursue God without holiness. The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's a component of our salvation. And we don't pursue holiness out of obligation. Salvation involves regeneration. We've been changed. In being changed, we pursue God. We desire the things of God. And in desiring God, we praise Him not only with our mouth, but we praise Him with how we live our life. Os Guinness once said that character can be defined as what one does when no one else is looking. That is in some way how we should look at how we live our life and the fact that when no one's looking, are we still doing those things that God has called us to do? Are we pursuing the things of God? And are we glorifying Him? We have in the Bible a glimpse into heaven with someone who was praising God, who was glorifying God in their actions. And it's actually in the Old Testament. So let's go to Job. Let's go to Job chapter 1. Reading in verse 1, it said, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters and eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. How did Job give glory to the Lord? One by sacrifice, showing that he wanted his family to be in a right relationship with the Lord. And second, by a relationship with God through a righteous life. Look at how God described him again. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now, I love Job 1. And the reason why is is just painting that picture in my mind. Where Satan is approaching God and he goes, Have you considered my servant Job? 
Job is living his life according to the teachings and truths of God, what God wants out of him. Holiness, think about this as you look at Job. Holiness was at the center of the relationship with God for Job. Job's holiness gave him a right relationship. Back to Ephesians 1. God chose us to be holy so that we would have a relationship with the Father. And that holiness occurs in two ways. Three, if you want to go all the way through the doctrinal transition. Is that one, we're justified in the fact that we have the blood covering of Jesus Christ. So when God looks at us, he sees us with the holiness of Christ, with the righteousness of Christ. Second of all, as we have the indwelling of the Spirit, we have sanctification in the fact that we have practical holiness, that we're moved and take on holy attributes as we move in our holiness towards the Father. And then lastly, as we stand before him face to face, we are glorified in our perfected state and we see God face to face. That's a story of holiness, isn't it? That he chose us to be holy. And as we look at Job, I want to point out some things that I think that are important for us as we think about our relationship with the Lord. And the first thing that I want to point out is, is that there is no anonymity with God. There's no anonymity. Back again to Job 1, what the Lord said to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? He knows him. I think that's so important as we think about walking with God is that we recognize in our life that we're not anonymous. We don't have a serial number. God knew Job. He knew him. And he knows you. He knows you. You're not one in millions or billions when you think about all of mankind from the beginning of time. He knows you. I think that's important. Second of all, he knows us personally in the fact that he addressed him not only by name, but he also described Job. He described him. And that's the same for us. He knows our name. He knows us personally. And you may say, well, that's just Job. Well, let me give you another example. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 13, I want for us to look at the words that Ananias, in the conversation with the Lord, first said. If you look at verse 13, on this is regarding Saul, who became Paul on the road to Damascus. Verse 13, it says, Lord, I've heard about many about this man. How much more harm has he done to your saints in Jerusalem? And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And look at what God said. It said, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things He must suffer 
for my name's sake. Isn't it interesting that as you look here at Acts chapter 9, at the beginning of the conversion of Saul who became Paul, and you have those words, he is a chosen vessel of mine. And here as Paul writes the Ephesians, as he opens up chapter 1, he says that we have been chosen. We've been chosen. And then in addition, as you look at Acts chapter 9, you see that he's chosen for a purpose. It wasn't a destination. He didn't say, I've chosen him so that he can go to heaven and live his life however he wants to. Not what he said. He said, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that. But he knew Paul personally. Psalm 139, which we read in our responsive reading earlier in the chapter, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before me. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And I think in today's busy world, where we are faced with all kinds of distractions, I mean, we carry this little square thing in our pocket and our purse, and every time it dings, we look at it like Pavlov's dog, right? And, and so we're all hooked to that. We're hooked to that. But what does God say? Be still and know that I am God. It's because we have a personal relationship. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross so that we could have a personal relationship with the Father. So we have a relationship, and that relationship is supposed to glorify God, right? We could say that in just some trite phrase, oh, I've got a relationship, and just leave it at that. And in fact, when you think about witnessing efforts, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? But what does that really mean? What does that really mean when we say that we have a relationship with God? First of all, you could have a good relationship or a bad relationship, right? Just saying that you have a relationship with God, well, what does that relationship look like? I mean, if I told you that somebody said, well, in my marriage, I only talk to my wife maybe five minutes a day, that's not a good relationship, is it? You've got a relationship if you're married, but that, that's not a good relationship. So when you start looking at that phrase, I have a relationship with God, and if God has chosen us so that we might have a relationship with Him, and oh, by the way, you can't have a relationship with Him unless you've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and have the holy covering of the blood of Christ as well as through the indwelling of the Spirit, you're pursuing holiness. That's the relationship, right? That's the relationship with God. For us to say, I have a relationship with God, it means that you are pursuing holiness and that involves your obedience. 
obedience. And in that obedience is when you glorify God. It's in our obedience. When the church grabs hold of that and we embrace that, that we are to pursue holiness and through our holiness we glorify Him, that is when the world looks at us and they say there's something different about those people. Just saying, I've got a ticket to heaven which is how salvation, unfortunately, has been preached for multiple decades. Say these few words, you get to go heaven and you don't have to worry about anything else. That is nowhere in the Bible. We have been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And through that transformation, we should be pursuing the things of God and recognizing that God knows my name. That he knows everything about me and he knows everything about you. And keeping that in our mind, at the forefront of our mind, that should cause us to live our life a little bit different, don't you think? Recognizing that we were chosen for a purpose. And you see that obedience glorifying God in the two examples that I've already used this morning. We were in Job 1. I want you to... Fast forward to Job 42. After all of the troubles and all of the trials and all of the issues with Job's friends, I want you to look at the words of Job in verse 2 of chapter 42. Job says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak, you said. I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes." That's the life of someone who believes and knows God. When we continually look at the holiness of God and we understand who we are, we continually go back to God and we repent and we pursue God. Why? Because we have a relationship with Him. And in that relationship, we glorify Him. You look at verse 7 as the Lord is chastising Job's friend. He said, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends for you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. See the relationship? As my servant Job has. We are his people and we should reflect the character and personality of God. We glorify God in our obedience. That's Job's example. Now, let's think about the words in conversation between God and Ananias. What did God tell Ananias? That Paul would suffer for his namesake. What does that mean? That means for his glory, doesn't it? That he would suffer for his namesake. Not going to hear that at a health and wealth church. Suffer for his namesake. 
So that's what God told Ananias. This is Paul's life. That's what he was saying. This is Paul's life. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. I want to read you the words of Paul. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, by whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think that sounds like someone who's living their life according to the plan that God told Ananias that would happen to Paul. Don't you think so? Here it was said in Acts chapter 9 and here in a prison epistle, he said, it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. We were chosen by the Father, we were redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we were chosen so that we would have a relationship with Him. And that relationship, that relationship is magnified by our obedience. Isn't that what we should desire? That's really the only important thing in life, isn't it? is that we live according to the teachings and truth that we say that we believe in. Now, I will tell you this. If you will commit your life to following God in His teachings and His truth, you will find peace and happiness and joy and contentment regardless of your circumstances. Did Paul? Peace that surpasses all understanding. Why is that? Because you're living the life that God chose for you. You know, as a follower of Christ, we are either walking in the path of God, or if we're a child of God, the Bible says that he chastises us. So you're either walking in his path, or you're just fighting it all along the way. Have you ever been there? I have. Where you're just fighting it. And if you've ever been there, I think you'll recognize and you can relate to the fact that you're absolutely miserable while you're fighting it. Just as I've shared my own personal experience, I fought doing this for years. You can't beat me out of doing this. If I would have known from the get-go that I would have so much peace and joy and contentment in fulfilling the call that God had for me in my life. I would have done that years before I surrendered to preach. But I fought it. And in fighting it, I did not find happiness and contentment. And I will guarantee you that as a child of God, if you will commit your life to following the Lord in obedience and pursuing holiness and reorienting your life to where Christ really is number one in your life, that you will find that peace and contentment because that's what you have been designed to do before the foundation of the world. Before time, God chose you to be His child 
And we're only happy when we reflect our life that we are living like a child of God. And that's where peace and contentment comes from. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you that you chose us. You called us out of darkness. And that wasn't so that we could live a life of ease, but that you chose us so that we would reflect you regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I just pray, Lord, that we commit to that, that we commit to be faithful servants. I pray, Lord, that that joy that we have in our life, that we would express that to others that might not know you. I pray, Lord, that if someone's listening that doesn't know you, that they would take the free call of salvation and repent from their sins and turn their life over to Christ and become new. I pray, Lord, that this church might be known as a group of believers who are faithful followers. I pray, Lord, that we would glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.